from Relay FM. This is Download, recorded Thursday, September 13th, 2018. This is episode 71, Small Screen Enthusiast. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I am your host, Jason Snell, and I'm joined by two wonderful guests from the Rocket Podcast here on Relay FM. It's Christina Warren. Welcome back. Hello. Hello. Glad to be here. It's a uh, big week. Lots of stuff going on. So I was glad you could join us for it. Yeah, no, lo- lots of stuff. Lot, uh, lots of stuff. So much stuff. Just the stuff is just, it, we're, we're standing in it. We're soaking in it. Also here from the Mac Observer, Jeff Gamut. Welcome to Download. First timer. Hello. Hey, it's great to be here. And uh, um, am I correct in assuming that I have to learn a new handshake? Which is okay. I will do that. Yes, the download handshake. Uh, you'll be now sent, once you complete this episode, you'll be sent the instructions about how to join the secret society of download. Um, also so here, excited. by the way, of course, as as usual, is download producer Stephen Hackett. Uh, I think this week had some news that you were interested in too, Stephen. I'm really excited about the new Mac Mini. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, no. oh, well, oh, you know, no. that's good. You get a whole other Apple event that's just going to be entirely probably not focused on the Mac Mini. Uh, all right, let's get down to it. The most interesting stories of the week, and of course, a lot of it is going to be about the Apple event that happened on Wednesday. As picked by me and Stephen Hackett, we basically said, so what did Apple announce? Let's talk about that. Anyway, we will begin with the iPhone, Apple's biggest product. And of course, this is the this is the one time a year where Apple rolls out a whole slew of new iPhones. They did it again on Wednesday. They officially announced the iPhone XS, which is uh, the, their new sort of flagship mainstream phone. Maybe, I don't know, a larger iPhone XS Max. That's an interesting product name and an unusual wrinkle. They also announced the also larger, but also cheaper, iPhone XR. The names are a little weird. We know. We know. But I want to talk about the phones themselves, especially. Um, And my first question is, who... These three models, three brand new iPhones here, who is Apple targeting with these phones? Who are these phones for? What are they doing by having these this 10R, this 10S Max, and of course the revision to the 10 called the 10S. Christina, what do you think? I'm trying I'm struggling with this myself. So I feel like the the 10R and the the 10S um are kind of clear. So like the the 10R I think is kind of taking the place of the Everyman phone. So this I think uh and, and this might have been something that that um you linked to that Harry McCracken wrote for for Fast Company, but I feel like this is kind of in a lot of ways the new, you know, uh last year we had the iPhone 8 and the 8 Plus and uh, as well as the 10 and that kind of bifurcated the line in a weird way that it hasn't ever really been bifurcated before. And this year I think that really kind of that replacement and kind of being saying like the every man phone, the phone that we expect everyone to buy even though it, it still has like kind of a, a higher, you know, um MSRP than some of the previous phones had is this 10R. Like this is the phone that we kind of expect everybody to get the the weird thing for me is that it's so much bigger right like it's it's six and a half inches and that's a gigantic device um it, that certainly goes along with trends but it is very much kind of um in opposition to to what apple has done for years and then you know the 10s i think is kind of you know for people who are maybe so so i kind of feel like like the the, the 10r is if you had 
like an iPhone 6 or 6 Plus, or maybe even a 6S or 6S Plus, like this is a really good place to upgrade, or e- e- even a 7, like this is where you go. You know, the 10S is kind of if, if maybe you're somebody who likes the smaller form factor and likes maybe some of the, the higher end materials, that's what this is for. Uh, the 10S Max, I guess, is for, you know, people who really want a bigger device, but also want those premium materials. What I'm kind of struggling against, I kind of understand where people who had an 8 or lower why they would upgrade. But what I'm personally kind of struggling with is, you know, as an iPhone 10 owner, I'm in a weird place where I don't know. I feel like the only way that I do an upgrade is if I get the 10s Max. That's the only way that I feel like it's worth the money, right? Um, but then the, the, the device size kind of puts me off. And so I kind of feel like for the first time, I'm, I'm a weird, I'm in a weird position where I don't know if I, if I need to upgrade this year. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's an interesting... I mean, we should say that most people who buy a new iPhone are not upgrading from the previous year. They're upgrading Definitely. from older phones, which is why when everybody always says, well, this is kind of an incremental up- update, it's true, but only if you're updating from last year's model, which most people aren't. But you're right. This The whole new wrinkles here with the two phones, we got two larger phones. It is something that is worth reminding everybody that although the iPhone XR is cheaper than the two XS models... It is essentially the size of and price of a plus phone traditionally. And there used to be a phone, a new phone underneath that that was smaller and cheaper. And that phone doesn't exist. It's still just the iPhone 8 beneath it. And that is a, that's a real change for Apple. Um, Jeff, what do you think about these, who these phones are for, what, what Apple's doing with this sort of triple phone strategy? Well, uh, I think... First, Apple did the iPhone part of this event not for iPhone 10 owners. The, sure. the, the message there was, hey, if you have an iPhone 10, you're set. Don't worry about it. But everyone else, uh, uh, iPhone 8, that gets lumped into there too. But everyone else, yeah, you know, take a look at these new phones. And I think the other thing that they were doing was telegraphing that consumers want big screen phones. So the iPhone 10s is there for the people that don't want the big screen, but doing what I'll call now the entry level model as a big screen, that that tells me this is where people are are going with their money. These are the the people that that Apple sees as a new target audience or an ongoing target audience. So we get the 10S Max and we get the the 10R and it's a big screen world. And people like me that don't like the big screens, we just have to sit here and quietly be thankful that at least there's a screen as small as 5.8 inches. Yeah, that does seem to be the world that we live in. And I, I hear from all the people who, like you, Jeff, are, are sort of small screen. I'm not going to say small screen enthusiasts. That seems weird. It's like being a ser- like a serial enthusiast or like a, 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 a wind enthusiast. It's like it's just yeah. a thing that you might like. You're, but still, people who like small phones and... Um, the message here is very clearly like Apple knows this market pretty well, I think, the smartphone buying market worldwide. And it's really saying here, yeah, bigger phones are what sell, <laughs> not the little phones. Um, mm-hmm. Stephen, are you excited about uh, – you have so many large phones to choose from now. I know. I was uh, a plus-carrying user for a long time. And the iPhone X has been really nice, but there are times that I wish it had been bigger. So – I think I'm in line for a for a Max. I'm just going to go all the way. That phone seems enormous. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, I think I just think it's really interesting. Like y'all said, that the whole line is now 
shifted up. You know, I, I am married to someone who I would call a small screen enthusiast. Enthusiast, sure. Uh, she was very um, sad when I told her last night that the SE is now gone. And so I, d- I don't know what, what, what she's going to do, but uh, it, yeah, it's just, it's such a aggressive jump. You know, that the, the 10 R is, is the, in, the middle phone now, like the 10 is the small one. If you want something new, like it's, it's yeah. a, it's a brave Size-wise. new world. Yet Size-wise. Again. Right. But not price wise. That's the, that's the funny thing. That's I, the weird thing. That's, that's, that's yeah. the conflict, right? Is that, is that you, you're charging a premium, Okay, great. Granted, you're getting, you know, the two cameras and you're getting the better screen technology, but and in and, and slightly better bill of materials, but you know, is that worth $350? Yeah, that's that I mean, this is the thing about what Apple's doing with the iPhone lines. The iPhone 10 line is it, it was sold last year as it's the future. Uh, today and now i guess we're in the future so we're all here and here we are um but it, it it's got a price that is way higher than the bog standard iphone prices and I, i'm starting to look back on that whole iphone 8 introduction as a very clever way for apple to set this new bar for what a phone costs by you know if apple had just come out with the iphone 10 and no iphone 8 it the, all the stories would have been apple just raised the cost of an iphone by 300 dollars. but instead they had that other phone down there but you can see what's happening apple's iphone sales are flat the last few years, but their revenues continue to rise. And it's because the average selling price of an iPhone keeps going up. They're raising the price of iPhones. So now the the iPhone XR gets considered as a uh, a, a, a value because it's $350 cheaper than the XS Max. Um, and it is a value compared to the XS Max, and it's got the same processor. And like, there's a real argument to be made, and I'm seeing people make it, that the XR is a really nice deal that it, and that it's going to be a popular phone. But I, I keep reminding myself... Yeah, but it is it is the cost of an old iPhone plus when those right. were new. It is 150, I think, dollars more than your old base new iPhone price and you got to you got to want a big phone too on top of that. Do you think that this is in some ways and maybe this is like me finally kind of catching up with where the rest of the world has been, but if this is kind of I mean, you mentioned this earlier, uh, Jason that you know most people don't upgrade their phones every year, but there have been kind of this contention of, you know, Apple fans and and I, I think that most of us could be kind of counted that way who do it anyway and with this raise in this price apple's kind of realizing it used to be every other year people were upgrading their phones now it's maybe every three years because of you know kind of the the stasis point we've reached for to a certain extent with technology that that's almost why they're they're raising this average selling price they're making it a bigger phone and being like we understand that we've reached saturation point we're not going to be getting many net new buyers at least in the, in, in, in our established markets so let's just go all in at a higher, you know, um, you know, uh, MSRP and let's, uh, let's just, you know, double down on the bigger, you know, phone trend because we know that we're probably only going to see churn every three years rather than every two. I think you make a really good point, and I think that when Lisa Jackson came out on stage yesterday, um, she didn't give her usual sort of... I mean, she did. She did the whole Apple's news and clean energy, but she did more than that, and she talked about um, the iOS 12 upgrade making iPhones more usable. The goal there was to make older phones more usable instead of having them kind of get the software bog them down, and that's a stated goal that Apple had. And she talked about their goal is to make the iPhone a uh, a, an object that is more usable for, for longer, which you don't usually hear from from these companies because their their goal here is to sell you a new one and probably as quickly as possible where what's that what's that dividing line which is like it lasts long enough that you're happy with it but 
you want to replace it because um, if it doesn't last very long, then you think it's junk and you want to get a different a different kind of device, right? So if, if that's the mindset that Apple has, then I, I think to your point, I think maybe these link together, which is if you see the buying cycles lengthening, going from a year or two to three or four, what's your response if you're Apple? And one of your possible responses is, okay, let's start selling people phones for $1,000 that are better and last longer, because then, you know, our net per year uh, revenue from them will remain the same, even though they're now buying a phone every three years. It's, I don't know if that's absolutely Apple's master plan, but um, it sounds like one of the things that they're doing. So I think you maybe, you maybe hit it right on the head there. Well, spending $1,000 on a phone every three years is much easier to justify for a lot of people than spending $1,000 every year. Totally. Yeah, and they even mentioned iPhone 5S during the 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 whole environment part right, of because iOS 12 runs on the iPhone 5s yep and I thought that was pretty telling because Apple doesn't just randomly toss things into a presentation every word is there for a reason so that they, they were acknowledging that there's people that are still rocking an iPhone 5s and happy with it yeah it's um this is it's also fascinating to see Apple experimenting with this in public because this is an experimentation phase for them just like it was last time it used to be there were there was an iPhone every year and then there was sort of an iPhone and its big buddy every year and now the these last two years you know this is apple saying okay this is the most important product in our, in our company it's super important that we don't mess this up we're the only one who makes iphones maybe we need a little more variety in our product line and also we want to try to boost the average selling price and so you you know last year everybody was sort of saying you know this is dangerous for apple to do this because maybe uh they will kill the golden goose but it seems like they're just making more more gold here <laughs> they they have found the golden goose they're feeding it and it's uh it's doing it's doing better um i don't know i i'm i let that one get away from me steven um would you consider a 10r under any circumstance or is because uh, it's 350 dollars less or is the 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 appeal of having that super high-end big phone uh just too much for you yeah the, the appeals too much to me and i want I, i've come to really enjoy having the second camera and that's one of the the things that makes the 10r different uh, that said, though, I think the 10R is is probably, you know, if, if someone uh, I've already had it happen, I'm sure y'all have too, of like text messages from like friends and, yep. and family, like, hey, what should you buy? Mm-hmm. And my answer right now is, um, you know, the 8's really good, but if you want something newer, check out the 10R next month. You know, I think for most people, it's it's a great phone if they want to spend less than $1,000 or they don't care about some of the features that make it different. All that said, though, the blue looks really good. Uh, and I, I kind of wish we had colors on the upper end of the line, too, but not as not uh, not in the cards this year. Yeah, those colors look really good. Although, as I said on on uh, Upgrade yesterday, uh, these podcasts are getting closer and closer together. It's crazy. Um, the uh, I'm not sure I love the two-tone look of it because the analyzed aluminum doesn't look the same as the glass back. So the colors right. are not quite... It actually reminds me of the original iPhone a little bit, where there's like the shiny frame and then the kind of uh, brushed back. Where it's mm-hmm. like these don't match; these are not close. Um, but the the colors are beautiful. Um, you mentioned the iPhone eight, Stephen. Worth saying, the iPhone eight is now five ninety nine, 
And it is, yes, it's last year's processor, but it's a really great phone. And if you're somebody totally. for whom the iPhone 10, you, you want a small phone, you need a new iPhone. Um, and the iPhone 10s at 999 is just too far up there. For 599, you can get an iPhone 8. It's going to last. It's going to last quite a while, and it and it's basically got the latest and greatest of almost everything. And uh, and again, for five ninety nine, that's actually a pretty great deal. Are they still selling the plus, or are they just selling the? They the, they are they are still selling the 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 eight plus for six ninety nine. That's interesting. See, to me, that it would have made total sense if they dropped the plus, right? Like if they they just sold the eight, because in some ways you could say, I mean, at this point, you could say, okay, well, that's the SE, you know, for all intents and purposes. Yeah, um, they're still selling it, the seven plus. The seven, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, they're still telling the seven and seven plus. I mean, that's still a great device too. For, it is uh, for four forty nine for an iPhone seven, pretty good, right? Like, I mean, and the, I guess that's Apple's. It is to Apple's benefit to have their devices last a long time and still be relevant on the current version of the OS because they still sell them new for a long time, even though it's a three year old model. Right, and for certain markets like India, they're not going to be selling in volume the the ten R totally or the ten or. 10s or, or the 10s max they're just not um and 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 that's an important market to them you know going forward so they need to have a lower um um asp you know device for for some of those markets so yeah, yeah that, that 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 that's a good point but um it, it is interesting that they're still selling the plus models because part of me could almost see the argument okay we're just going to make the the 10r kind of the de facto plus but that but they're but they're not so that that you know adds yet another kind of i guess um interesting um wrinkle if you look at the whole if you look at i guess at all the SKUs they're selling now especially if you include each individual color it is kind of crazy that you know um we used to make fun of you know samsung for their goldilocks problem um i think that it's fair to say that apple is definitely in the same boat now you know well if you count colors there were 12 brand new iphones introduced yesterday (laughs) wow uh because there's six uh 10rs uh, six colors. I don't know where I've heard that before. And then there's, of course, <laughs> three colors of each of the 10s models. So that's 12 iPhones right there that are brand new. Uh, yeah, it's uh, what a funny world we live in. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. the, uh, a couple other notes here. I, I'm curious if you have any thoughts of any of you about the idea that for the 10 R, um, after all of this time extolling the virtues of using sensors or two cameras to do portrait mm-hmm. mode, uh, with the 10 R, they're like, yeah, we put portrait mode on one camera. It's fine. Uh, which, I mean, it remains to be seen. I'm sure it's not going to be as accurate at detecting as a two camera system or a system with a, with a, a sensor like on the front, but, Still, um, interesting move, right? To say traditionally, uh-huh. this big phone has had uh, this portrait mode as a feature, and we're not putting a second camera on this thing. So we're just gonna we're just gonna you know use other means to make guesses about what uh, the depth stuff is. It's a really interesting move. I mean, I think it, that is if if nothing else, that completely affirms that that Google, you know, because frankly, a lot of people have made the argument um that that the Pixel 2 had a better camera than the iPhone 10. Right. And they did all their they did all of their portrait mode exactly. stuff in software. Precisely. And or and with so like in focus pixels, but they they were calculating right. it, not using a second self- image or a sensor. Yeah. Exactly. So, so the, the vast majority right. And so I mean, you know, in some ways I think this is a direct response to you see how well the Pixel 2 has been received. And the fact that the, their software is as good. Now, the big question is going to be, is Apple's software going to be as good as, as Google's? That I don't know about. I think historically, Apple's camera software has been extraordinary. But 
you know, um, portrait mode when it first came out for the seven plus was buggy. There have still been some issues. I think it's gotten a lot better, you know, over the course of the software updates, but I don't know. I mean, I think Google is better at AI. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it compares, mm. but I, I, to me, this is almost, uh, it, it, almost a weird admission in some ways. It's like, yeah, Google got it right. You know, they were able to successfully do this. So if we have this phone and it doesn't have this feature, how can we compete? Exactly. We'll look bad if we don't have this feature. You know, I, to me, it felt more like a slap in the face to iPhone seven and iPhone eight owners oh yeah because apple was saying look you have to have two cameras to do this and now Mm -hmm. i know it's one camera well the way they spin it right is that this is using a lot of machine learning stuff that's in the a12 with the eight cores for you know the neural engine and all that there's but that is a line they always walk which is the truth is a lot of features get withheld for arbitrary reasons but it's all rolled into the new hardware because they want to sell new hardware and Mm -hmm. you know very rarely does that stuff go back to old models so they always claim that it's hardware uh enabled even if eh, maybe maybe not you know, on the arbitrary thing, what's up with not having 3D touch on the XR? Uh, I think the I think uh, to do a 3D touch screen costs more, right? Because they've got yeah. to, especially on a wider thing, because they've got to actually have all of the different like pressure sensors um, that are that are measuring the pressure across. And I think that's just it's cheap. They, they were like, we can yeah. save we can save money that way. I think 3D touch is going away because the, whole, the whole branding of haptic touch. If people people miss this part of it, uh, haptic touch is they put branding on something that's not. And a thing uh, to mm-hmm. make it a thing. And it's fascinating because they could have said, well, we're not doing 3D touch anymore, but it doesn't matter. You can just touch and hold. It's fine. And instead, they're like, no, no, no. We've introduced a new thing called haptic touch that's like a, a cousin to 3D touch. And it works a little differently. But the truth is, it's literally just we've mapped 3D touch to touch and hold and added a haptic to indicate that we've received your touch and hold and that's it that's what it is yeah i i agree with you i think i think 3d touch is going away and i think a big part of that is they've never been able to bring it to ipad yeah in fact haptic touch would seem to be much more likely a candidate to come to ipad actually because totally. it's just touch and hold with some they would have to add a, a more strong uh taptic engine to get the ipad to vibrate a little bit because it's a big thing but that's not hard i would think i mean i think that's within their their realm and it would be a lot easier because yeah the big the big piece of glass is a lot harder to measure the pressure across the whole thing mm-hmm. um the other one i wanted to mention just as a quirk before we move on i have one more iphone thing which is um this is the first time in a very long time in the certainly in the era of tim cook uh making iphones cheaper by continuing to sell the old models for a few years and just pushing them down the price list where a mainstream phone has appeared on the price list for a year and then just disappeared the iphone 10 is not going to be sold for 899 in fact it's not going to be sold. They have just replaced it yeah, with the 10s. That's, that's an interesting quirk too, where they're like, no, 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 no. We don't want this shape of and, and technology package of phone to be eight ninety nine. We want it to be nine ninety nine, and so they're just not going to sell the iPhone 10 anymore. That was an interesting move. That is interesting. I wonder, and and I mean, my guess would be a couple things. One, I would think that their their, their you know uh, bill of materials, they might not get the margins they want if they drop it. Uh, would be one. But my my bigger thing is, I think that if they did drop it a hundred dollars, you would have a whole lot of people who would 
it would cannibalize, I think, both the the 10R and the 10S. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. And and this is it shows that they're treating the 10 line differently. Right. They're like, well, yeah, mm-hmm. we'll still have the eight, but we're not going to we're, we're going to withhold access to the 10 line there's right. a 10 this is special we, we're, we're gonna we're gonna give you you're gonna have to make a decision you're, right. you're either gonna have to but but i mean yeah but I, I guess if we go back to my earlier thesis that you know they're expecting people upgrading every three years there would be a lot of people who would go to the 899 phone rather than either doing the 749 or the 999 right. And, uh, and, and that would be really bad. So that, that, that's kind of my thought on that, but it is interesting. Yeah. If you had a plan, uh, to wait a year and then buy an iPhone 10 for a hundred dollars less, you can't (laughs) like, sorry, (laughs) they're not going to let you play that game. We're going to talk about the Apple watch a little bit, and then we will talk about some things that aren't Apple related, but of all the weeks we're going to, this is like the week you talk about Apple stuff (laughs) if ever there was one. Uh, but first let me tell you about our sponsors this week. Uh, first sponsor is Squarespace. You can make your next move, whatever it may be on the web with Squarespace. They let you create a website for whatever that next idea is. You can get a unique domain. They have award-winning templates. So if you want to create an online store and sell stuff to people on the internet, you can maybe make a portfolio site to show the artwork or writing or, or, or whatever else it is that you're creating, or create a blog and get your thoughts out there on the internet on a uh, site that you control, not someone else. Uh, Squarespace can help you do that. It's an all-in-one platform. You don't have to set up a server and install software and patch the security holes in the software and patch the security holes on the server software. None of that happens. You just use Squarespace. Squarespace takes care of the rest of it. They have award-winning 24-7 customer support. So if you do need help, you can get it at any time and they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name as well for whatever your project is. And those award-winning templates I mentioned, they are beautiful, beautifully designed by uh, their expert web designer. So you don't have to be a web designer and you can show off your great ideas and it'll look beautiful. Now, plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash download FM. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code download FM. You'll get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and you'll show your support for this podcast. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash download FM. Use the code download FM and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Thank you to Squarespace for supporting this show. Squarespace make your next move make your next website okay the apple watch series four we're four years almost to the day since the apple watch was first yes. announced and mm-hmm. it, it was september 2014 um okay so now we've got a larger screen it's grown a little bit there's way more room to display data there are a bunch of new health features like fall detection and a built-in ecg and maybe most importantly it feels to me like the apple like Apple firmly knows something that it did not know four years ago when it introduced the Apple Watch, which is what it's for. Yep. And they said twice, they said there it's for three things, keeping connected, fitness, and health. And that was the mm-hmm. message. So there it's like it's it's a much so much more focused product than it was four years ago. So I wanted to ask all of you. Is the Apple Watch finally uh, coming into its own? Is this? Is, have we kind of resolved what this thing is and and uh, and how it's supposed to work, Jeff? What do you think? I I think so, and I think that Apple led with Apple Watch in the keynote because this is the star product uh, from yesterday's announcements. Mm-hmm. It, it felt like like Apple just came out on stage and said, "Okay, we've got it now. We get what Apple Watch is, and." And hold on, because we're going to run with this. 
So that this is the first Apple Watch that I've been genuinely excited about since the original came out. And, and while I've had almost every single version of Apple Watch and have enjoyed every single version that I've had, this is the one that I'm excited to get on the 21st. Yeah, no, I um, I made a comment on Twitter yesterday, and and I had somebody try to argue with me about it, uh, where I where I, I commented on the the pivot, the, the the fact that basically, you know, when the Apple Watch came out, it was without a doubt, it was saying like this is about fashion, this is about apps. Um, fitness and health were part of it, but it was definitely downplayed. And I, I commented that I think one of the more interesting pivots, and you really started seeing it with the series two, but it, it, it is, it is, as you noted, like it is now front and center, but the pivot from fitness or from, from, from fatness, a fashion to fitness, fashion to health, um, has been really, really interesting. And I think it's utterly worked. Um, uh, the, the person who argued with me, they were like, Oh no, they always cared about fitness and health. I was like, No, I, I talked to, basically every senior Apple executive in that period of time and they all about Apple Watch and they all from like, you know, Tim Cook, Johnny Ive, everybody was very much positioning it as a fashion device and 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 around apps. Like that was the whole thing. And the fashion thing hasn't really worked. And the apps thing, if we're honest, really hasn't worked. Uh but fitness and health um have and and you know kind of keeping you connected notifications. The the real sticky thing with Apple Watch ended up being the activity rings. That ended up being the engagement point. And I think um, uh, zeroing in on that and um, even with the redesign, like making it that much more front and center, putting the the electrocardiogram stuff, building that into it has been really smart. And and I agree with Jeff. I think that it was first um, at the you know outset because this is they know what this is now. And in a lot of ways, I was more excited by the watch than I was by the phone. Um, and yep. and that's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've been hearing that feedback from a lot of people. I feel like the watch is really, I have the series three cellular. Um, I am lucky enough. I get a fitness credit, um, that I can use for, for, for things, including Apple watches at work. I'm going to be buying the series four, uh, without, without a doubt. Like I'm, I, that is a no brainer. I do. I still am at this weird point where I don't know if I'm pre-ordering, uh, tonight or if I'm going to be, uh, waiting for reviews on the phone. Um, I'm obviously going to get the phone, but I just don't know when, um, but but the watch is a no brainer, and I feel like the watch is is it's it's really exciting what they've what they've been able to do with it, and it's also interesting. Everywhere I go, I see so many Apple watches. You know, it's like it's it's kind of a toss up. It's like, what do you see more of, AirPods or Apple watches? And uh, you know, I mean, I think AirPods is probably the the answer. But it's really interesting just how broadly Apple watches kind of become adopted, and I think that that happened when the positioning changed, when the, the positioning started to focus on health and fitness, when they focused less on the high-end models. I mean, the ceramic model is not even being sold anymore. Right. You know, they're, they're doing this, right. this, which is really fascinating. Like That's kind of, to me, the ultimate admission that we're no longer trying to put this, we still have the Hermes you know, bands, but we're no longer trying to sell this as a luxury device. This is a every man kind of thing. And we're no longer kind of treating people who buy the sport as second class citizens, you know, like get whichever one you want. We're, we're putting a lot of love and care into this. This is, but this is for everyone. 
Well, they don't even call it the Sport anymore, right? It's just the aluminum model. And I will point out, we mentioned iPhone uh, average selling price earlier. The Apple Watch costs more now, too. They mm-hmm. they have raised the price of the new, the Series 4 ones are more expensive than their predecessors. So this is another case where Apple is pushing up. To get into a brand new Apple Watch is $100 more than it used to be. Really? Um, I hadn't noticed that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So the Series 3 is still for sale, and it got a price cut, which is nice. And that's a nice watch. But if you want the Series 4 and the latest and greatest... It will cost a bit more than it used to. This is definitely part of Apple's, uh, I mean, it's not an accident. This is Apple's strategy to get uh, more revenue out of all of these products and basically say, if you want the latest and greatest, you are going to pay for it. Uh, but it is so compelling. I mean, the so in, when the um, when the screenshot came out a couple weeks ago that uh, the very smart Guillermo Rambo uh, figured out how to guess at a URL on Apple's website, uh, um, that's a whole other issue. Uh, one of the mm-hmm. things that I saw was a lot of designers I knew who who were just aghast at all of the little widgets that were <laughs> yeah. on that watch face. And Same. it's funny because for me, I was like, look, there are plenty. In fact, a- a- Apple yesterday showed there are a bunch of new watch faces that it's just like hands and like a pretty colorful pattern. And that's all it is. Or you can get these two faces that are super information dense. They actually call them infograph, I believe, which is their way of saying it is a chronograph that is just super packed with information. And that, honestly, that works for me. But I'm, I'm, I'm curious what you guys think about, um, you know, Christina, where do you come down on this debate about like how much is too much density of information on the Apple Watch? Okay, so I'm going to be honest. I love my complications. And I even though I have... I. I've got, I don't, um, whatever the, the, the style is, it, it like has, uh, you know, like, um, a, a normal like watch face, but I have complications on it. And, um, I, 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 can't, I would like one more. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy they're doing that. I will also though, be honest, like I like the complications, but I will be honest, like when you look at the, the faces that they have, you know, on their screenshots, I kind of am, a little gas. I'm like, oh my god, that's really busy and really bright. You know, I kind of wish that you could adjust the colors a little bit, make it a little hmm. more muted, so that it's not quite as is in your face. Um, but yeah, I think that that's kind of for a lot of people who use the watch. And again, this kind of goes back to my thesis about the pivoting away and the repositioning away from fashion. Like people who are really into their Apple Watch, they're really into it because they want to get that information at a glance. Um, and, uh, you know, looks be damned. I do wish that, y- that buying the Hermes, um, band would, would let you get the watch face because at this point I did the math and I can buy the, um, the, the watch and, and the band for less money than buying the whole thing. But then you don't get the special Hermes watch face. But then Hermes doesn't sell the stainless steel gold one. So, you know, it's like, I, I can't win. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I, it's, like, it's like Apple, Hermes, I want to spend money with you, but you won't sell me what I want. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I understand the criticisms and I'm not entirely in disagreement. But I also feel like I think that the people who are the hardcore, just the fanatics about Apple Watch really love having that dense information as an option. And I think it's good with the bigger screen and with the more processing power or whatever that they're able to do that. You know, for me, I, I like to have a very specific set of data showing on my Apple Watch because it it's like a triage tool for me. If if I have an alert on my watch, it's because it's something that I know I need to pay attention to soon. And if it's if it's not showing up there, okay, then it's something that I can check later and it's no big deal. So I don't want to have a super complicated watch face. That said, 
there's a lot of stuff that they're packing into these these new complications that I'm looking at and thinking, okay, maybe I do want to have a little bit more on my screen because they it's complicated, but at the same time, there's so much information that they're efficiently packing into a small space. That's kind of compelling. I think a lot of people are really into information overload and they'll have everything running in the complications and still want more. Uh, I'm actually feeling kind of bad for developers because now they have to develop two versions of their complications. Yeah. The, the ones for Series 3 and earlier and the ones for Series 4. They've also spent the whole summer building new versions of their apps for, for the new version of WatchOS only to discover that they also have a new screen size that they have to support now. So that's... Mm-hmm. Sorry, guys. It happens. Yeah. I mean, but that's unfortunately, you know... Um, it's life as a UI developer. Kit, exactly. It's like <laughs> the layout kit to the walk, to, 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 to rescue. I don't know. Um, yeah, that, yep. that, that's a shame. But one thing I will say that I was really happy about, so it's slightly bigger now. You know, you're now 40 and 44 millimeters instead of 38 and 42. But the fact that the bands will still fit, that to me um, was uh, was really, really great. Because as somebody who's invested a lot of money um, in some of the more expensive bands over the years, I, I would have been even more incensed than I am. The fact that my series zero Apple watch is dead after three years and is never going to get an update and is, you know, basically useless. Um, I would be really sad. That would be the one thing that would annoy me if I had to then buy a whole new band collection. But that yeah. I, th- I thought was really terrific that even though they've, mm-hmm. they've made it thinner and they made it a little bit bigger, they've still kept that, that band connector the same. Yeah, I don't know if I would have uh, believed. I don't think I would have made the bet if you had said, okay, when they get to the fourth generation Apple Watch, will they still, will all the bands still be compatible? I don't think there was would be any way I would have said yes. And yet here we are. So I guess good for Apple. And the fact that it got mentioned on stage, right? I think Apple has been so successful in rotating the band styles and colors and all of that, that they now know that there's this existing base of Apple Watch users who are very enthusiastic and have invested a lot of money in bands, and that that's going to be a really tough transition to make and i i get the feeling now that apple will avoid it if they can um because they know they know that that's part of the appeal is that the bands kind of come with so at some point they will and people will scream bloody murder but that happens with technology uh headphone jacks anyone anyway uh we have more to talk about <laughs> a little more uh, i want to tell you about our next sponsor though this episode is brought to you by pingdom while you've been listening to this podcast how would you know if your website had gone down oh no don't it's fine it hasn't i'm just it's a hypothetical but uh if your customers couldn't click the buy now button if your site was still up, but they couldn't buy anything. What, what about that? You might not stumble across that problem unless you happen to be buying something from your own website. Maybe that seems unlikely, right? It, it, it's complicated. You need a system to check not just your website, but everything on your website, all the different pieces that are vital to keeping your website running. And that's why you need Pingdom. Pingdom lets you know the moment your site or parts of your site go down and they let you do uh, get your notification in whatever way works for you. And it's smart. They get the information needed to solve the issue sent to whoever needs it. So if you've got like a person or a subgroup in your team that's responsible for e-commerce checkout, for example, they can get that notification. And somebody who's working on the, you know, the, the styling of the homepage and the CSS breaks or something like that, you know, that if that that file could potentially be sent to somebody else, like you can set it up based on what you need to check and when you need to check it. 
Pingdom uses more than 70 global test servers to emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every minute. All they need to get started is your URL. That's it. That's it. They take care of the rest. Don't risk being the last to know about something on your site breaking. Start monitoring your site today. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now. You'll get a 14-day free trial, no credit card required. You will find out in those 14 days what's going on in your website. And when you sign up, use the code DOWNLOAD to check out. You'll get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you, Pingdom, for supporting this show and all of Relay FM. Now it's time for the story you might have missed, which is a story that may have flown under your radar, but is worth at least mentioning here. Bloomberg has an article out about Larry Page. Do you remember him? He co-founded Google. Uh, Google was a no-show at the September 5 congressional hearings. We mentioned that last week. They wanted somebody more senior, like maybe Larry Page, and uh, they they didn't want to send somebody that senior. And uh, a lot of people thought that perhaps uh, the empty chair of Google at uh, the congressional hearing should have had Larry Page in it. He is running Alphabet, Google's parent company, but hasn't presented at a product launch or been heard on an earnings call since 2013. Famously, at Google I.O. in 2013, he stood on stage for what I will characterize as 45 agonizing minutes in which he gave a rambling speech followed by a little bit of weird Q&A about how Silicon Valley should create its own island nation somewhere that's exempt from all existing laws. Um, Anyway, for some reason, he hasn't done any press at all since 2015. Many believe Larry Page is so head down in future-facing projects, he's left the day-to-day grind behind, and this is why Alphabet is structured the way it is. This would mirror what happened several years ago uh, when he ran Google directly. Over time, he withdrew from the nitty-gritty and focused on R&D. Also, apparently, he's been hanging out a lot on his own private island in the Caribbean, although that one is presumably subject to laws of some nation somewhere. I don't know. Bloomberg raises the question of this being the right way to go as a CEO of one of the world's largest companies in comparison with his peers like Jeff Bezos, uh, Satya Nadella, and Tim Cook. It's worth thinking about. So, yeah, where have you gone, Larry Page? Um, that's all. That's all. It's a mystery. There's no answer. Larry just uh, doesn't want to be seen. He wants to be in charge, but not not so much. Um, moving on. Topic number three, speaking of Google. Uh, Google has announced that it is shuttering Inbox, the mobile app that added a lot of extra goodies on top of the stock Gmail experience. It brought features like snoozing email, smart filtering, bundling, and more to its users. But over time, many of those features have been absorbed back into the core version of Gmail. Shutting down the app probably isn't a huge shock in that regard, but it means Inbox joins a long list of email apps that tried to rethink email and have failed, including Newton Mail, Mailbox, and and Sparrow. That said, today there are still some good mobile email alternatives to the default app on the iPhone, like Spark and Airmail. Outlook does interesting stuff. Even the Gmail app itself is interesting. So, email is it too, is it just bad? <laughs> is that the problem here? Is it just it's just bad? Could you can you make a third party app that tries to rethink email, or is there just no no chance because it's so ingrained into the system? Christina email bad we know okay it's bad but is that it is like like don't even try well and i think it's hard i mean and, and i should start with the disclosure that i, I work at microsoft yes. makes um outlook and uh I, th- I actually think that outlook for mobile is better it's a better if you want the best gmail experience on the iphone i've actually think that's outlook not the gmail app um and i've been saying that for years um that came out of an acquisition of a company called accompli which again was kind of doing what uh some of the other companies you mentioned have, have done um and uh but yeah, I think it's hard. I think that email, I think calendars are, are an interesting one too. I think other than Fantastical, you know, you've had a lot of calendar startups that just end up getting acquired and then getting shut down or integrated into something else. And I think it's hard to get kind of mass, um, I think support, 
uh, on, on a lot of these applications. Um, and, and that's why you, you end up seeing the, the more innovative things happening on Gmail proper or, you know, in the case of Outlook, the Outlook app or, you know, within Apple Mail, uh, you know, uh, Dropbox. I think that was always kind of a weird thing. Like, why did Dropbox need to be involved in email? That wasn't really a, a good business decision, but I think that email is hard. And I also think it's one of those things that people, you know, it, it sucks, but it, it, but it has a purpose. And some of these things can be really great for power users, but are hard to get regular people kind of on board with. Um, I will say, you know, even though inboxes is dead now, most of the inbox features are now in Gmail. So right. you kind of have the question of like, does this still need to exist? And I'm sure that the, the, the few inbox diehards will be really upset about this. Um, it, it's a little bit uh, sadder when you, you see like Newton ma- mail scenarios where you're like, you know, you really like that, um, you know, system. Um, there used to be a, an app that I use. I think it's trying to, to pivot to come back, but I'm not going to pay for it this time called MailPilot that I liked a lot. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's just, it's hard to kind of, uh, sustain a business around customizing email because the people who care is such a, and are willing to pay for it or is such a small audience. Yeah. Yeah. And so email goes on kind of with this momentum of, um, it's just like it, it, has to exist so it continues to exist but uh, it's just going on its own momentum and it's not changing or growing or developing it could right because everybody agrees email could be way better and yet you know it's email nobody's nobody's motivated to make it any better instead well right well and part of the problem part of the problem with it with making email better like is that the whole purpose is that it's universal you know a message that i send i can send a message to anybody so if you start making fundamental changes it breaks everything. It, yeah. bre- it can break everything, you know, because, because, you know, okay, so, so Gmail is, is the biggest, you know, client or whatever, but, but, you know, there's exchange, there's, there's other systems, there are all these, you know, different ways that things are handled that you can make specific changes for one certain class of, of, of users and, and people you send things to, but it's not like iMessage where you can kind of understand, you see the blue or the green bubble. You know what I mean? Like I send an email, I expect it to work everywhere. Yeah. And if you start making too many of the changes to improve it, um, unless you could get everybody with all the standards to evolve. And even then you'd have backward compatibility issues. I don't even want to think about what it would do. I think that's why it's been easier to just be like, okay, we're just going to move to Slack rather than, you know, trying to fix email. Email is just bad. And (laughs) yet here we are. Here we are. And, and I, I, when you look at the different email clients that that have come up and, and disappeared over the years, the bottom line is, how do you compete with free mm-hmm. when the operating system comes bundled with an email app? That's the path of least resistance, and that's what most people are going to use. So that's really hard to compete with. Um, th- that said, boy, I would love to find the perfect email client. And and I don't know who's going to make it, and I, and I don't know when it's going to happen, if ever. But when it does, I will be so happy. And uh, and as far as competing with the options that that Apple, Microsoft, Google are making, I think the the way to compete is the way that that Riedel is going with Spark, where they've they've made something for power users, but they're also making something where they can target businesses and organizations, where it becomes more of an email collaboration tool. And you need to find that special market that you can hit. And if you do, great. And if not, well, then you're going to, to go the way of Newton Mail. 
Yeah, Stephen, you uh, you do you have feelings about this? You you pop this one in our uh, as our little bonus, our little dessert topic after talking about Apple. Do you are you uh, you will agree that email is just bad, right? Oh yeah, Th- this felt like a nice <laughs> counterpart to the Evernote topic last week. Oh yeah, so it gave me the same sort of feeling of dread in my soul. <laughs> You know, like I run a company and that company operates almost 100% on top of Slack. The only email that happens inside of Relay FM uh, is very minor. You know, all that, most of our email is with outside sources, right? So advertisers or listeners, but inner company communication, Slack is just eating all of it. I think that's true for a lot of people or, you know, Microsoft Teams or whatever, you know, chat applications because email, like email so overwhelming and it is problematic in a bunch of ways. And not that Slack and these other things don't have their own problems. They have a different set of challenges, but at least for, I think company like mine, email is just not the heart of it anymore. And I think that's a really interesting shift that's taken place really probably over the last three or four years uh, in the market. And uh, these email apps are sort of caught up in that too. There's all these reasons that these apps are dying off. I don't think it's a single point of failure. Oh, well, it's, uh, yeah. So there, there's your, there's your, uh, moment of sadness, I guess. <laughs> again, I think it's, I feel like it's time for a fuzzy puppy update to wrap this up because I, <laughs> I'm once again, despairing about things in the world of technology. So here it is. This is why we do the fuzzy puppy update at the end. We are trying to bring a little bit of happiness in because sometimes those topics that we discuss can bring you down. Here is the update. Uh, I want to tell you about two guys, Kyle Morris and Brian Seals. They are visionaries. So they met while volunteering at the Partner for Pets Animal Rescue Center in Troy, Illinois. They fell in love. They decided to get married. They tried to figure out a way to get the animal shelter somehow involved in their wedding. They ended up having their 10 groomswomen. And I I just, I have to stop here and say, it's, I I, want to know the whole story. (laughs) Two two grooms, 10 groomswomen. That was the wedding party. Fascinating. Anyway, the groomswomen are going to walk down the aisle. Traditionally, one would hold a bouquet of flowers while walking down the aisle. No, no, no. Each one of the groomswomen walked down the aisle holding a puppy from the shelter as their bouquet. The puppies got a day out from the shelter. The shelter got some free publicity, including this update, I suppose. And the wedding photos became immediately OMG memorable. So everyone wins, except maybe the groomswomen's dresses. Um, (laughs) Sometimes puppies have accidents. It happens. We love them anyway. Uh, Anyway, congratulations to to Kyle and Brian, not just for getting married, but for inventing the puppy bouquet. And eight of those 10 bouquet puppies have already been adopted from the shelter. So that's awesome. What a nice, I love that. what a nice idea. And we'll put a link to the story in the show notes so you can see the picture of the puppies because there's puppies in the, oh my God, they're so adorable. And that is the end of this week's download. Jeff Gamet, where can people find the stuff that you do? Oh, uh, how about over at MacObserver.com? That, that's where you find me and a bunch of other awesome writers. I get to work with really cool people. Excellent. You do. You do. And uh, Christina, where can people find the stuff that you do? Uh, so you can find me at uh, film underscore girl on Twitter and Instagram. You can listen to my podcast, Rocket, right here on Relay FM. And uh, if you want to see the stuff I do at work, you can go to YouTube.com slash Microsoft Developer. Excellent. And Stephen Hackett, thank you as always for uh, lending me your insight and also helping put the show together. You bet. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. I've been your host, Jason Snell. And until next week, we will keep watching those headlines so you don't have to. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.